It's something for nothing. The Rush Fan Cast. Jerry and Steve with you. Jerry, it's a Sunday. We're doing this in the morning again. I kind of like this. I do, and I got to skip church this morning, so that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fancast. Instagram, you can find us at The Rushcast. Email Jerry, therushcast at gmail.com. Tell him what church you go to. He'll send a, an email back with what church he goes to. Maybe you guys can meet. <laughs> we'll see. Follow or subscribe via your favorite podcast app. Bass intro and outro, that is Lex. And Jer, we've got a great episode coming up, but let's hear your email first before we get into it. Okay. This is from Matt. He lives in Virginia. What's up, Matt? He says, your episode on the live album from the Grace Under Pressure Tour got me to thinking about what, to me, is the picture of Rush perfection as far as recorded live performances go. I have to say for me, all three concerts in the replay times three would fit the bill. What do I mean by that? Well, when I look at all these shows, to me, the Rush captured in these performances was what I would consider to be musically the top of their game. Not to say they weren't terrific any other time they were captured live. But with all three tours, I felt the music was presented well, mixed good enough for my drummer ears to be pleased at any volume, and that the music was really some of their best, most exciting, and best performed from a video captured show. The music of that era captured my imagination or took me away from whatever menial tasks I had before me. Each member in these shows seemed to be laser-focused and played to a level of preciseness and perfection most of us just dream about as musicians. They seemed to play close to or exactly dead on the song arrangements from the recording, with perhaps a big ending or a definite ending on those songs that fade out on the records. Each show was presented differently as far as lighting and filming goes. I really thought a show of hands was superbly well done all around when you consider how they accentuated those exciting musical parts, keyboard symphonic sounds, or transitions of any song from that video with lighting and camera movements. I think Turn the Page comes to mind as an example of that. The camera moves, dynamic lighting, and lasers emanating from behind the drums are just some of the things that are off actors. They've always been great at putting on awesome shows with amazing graphics on screen. And these three are the three shows I wish I would had been lucky enough to have seen live. Exit Stage Left is just essential and a given to see for any Rush enthusiast. It was truly my gateway to Rush back in the day. As a young drummer, I hadn't heard anything like that Tom fill at the end of Tom Sawyer. When I look back on how much that live recorded performance affected me and shaped me as a drummer and musician, it gave me a lifelong appreciation for the musical contributions, compositions, and camaraderie. It's had and has had me interested in not only the drums, but now trying to understand, configure, and play since. Getty's voice was still in shape to sing all the music they chose to perform back then. He wasn't at the point where the falsetto was hard to pull off. I'm not knocking him. I applaud him for not giving up and playing those older songs. He's done a remarkable job coping with that. I love that era of Rush that was pre-presto on back to the beginning. It's what makes me smile and treat my desk at work like a drum set. I'm sure much to the chagrin of all of my neighbors. The Grace Under Pressure video was one I hadn't seen or heard before the Replay Times 3 came out. I love the music from that one too. When I saw Neil flipping that stick every few measures on fear, I was like, is there anything this man can't do on the drums and still play perfectly? I'm so glad I impulse bought that DVD set. It's probably one of those DVD sets that if my house was burning down, I'd take whatever risk to go back and get it. Guys, thank you for all you do to keep us fans learning and entertained. Matt. Awesome. Thanks so much, Matt, for the email. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And I agree with him. Those three videos are amazing. They are amazing. But we're going to talk about something probably equally as amazing, right? Very true, Jerry. Look at you with the segues. I'm digging this. <laughs> it's this only taken one, 100 plus episodes for me to come up with some. <laughs> talk about shows that I wish I had been to. Can you imagine being in Rio de Janeiro for Russian Rio? How great would that have been? It would have been amazing. And did you know that the night before... They played to 60,000 people? Yes, in Sao Paulo, 60,000 people. I read that in the three nights in Brazil, they played to 125,000 people. <laughs> How crazy is that? That is insane. I mean, usually the concerts that we went to see were loud, and the crowd was amazing, but 19,000, yeah, 15,000, depending on the place. And I'm sorry, what we're going to discover today is... American audiences do not hold a candle to Brazilian audiences. Yeah. No shot. No shame, though, on the game of 
American audiences. But no, no. Come on. But come on, man. Yeah, really? <laughs> really? So uh, what we're going to talk about today is not the video version of Rush in Rio, but the audio version, the live album Rush in Rio. Three-disc live album released October 21st, 2003, recorded at Maracana Stadium in Rio de Janeiro on the final night of the Vapor Trails Tour, November 23rd, 2002. And as you said, Jer, they played Sao Paulo the night before to 60,000, and on this night they played to 40,000 people. I think that the fact that it was the final night of the tour, that had a lot to do with both the crowd and the band, you know, performing. Oh, yeah. Both performing, really, as they did. Yeah, I mean, you think about Neil Peart, right? He just got finished with how many nights of playing full force. And this is the last night, so he can just let it fly, right? Yeah, all of them could just let it fly. It's amazing. And the night before, it rained, right? Yeah. So they were probably just exhausted from the tour, playing in the rain. Yeah. And this is the final night. It must be such a relief to play the last show of a tour, especially a pretty hard one like that. Now, you talked about this, Jared. This is the first Rush live album that veered from the four studio albums, one live album pattern. Mm -hmm. And I think they recorded this show for the video, thinking this was going to be a video-only release. And they thought to themselves, this, this has to be a live album too, right? Yeah. Forget this whole format we've been sticking with. Let's just put this out. Well, it sold really well. And I'm sure they were like, okay, I guess people are interested in concerts now, full concerts. Yeah. Because the concert albums before this weren't full concerts. This is a full Rush concert from beginning to end. Right. This is the first Rush live album that featured the entire show with the songs in the correct order and no songs omitted. Yep. So this is a new thing for Rush. Now, every tour, we're just going to put out a live album, live video, and the fans are going to eat it up. Yeah, because listening to this, which I hadn't listened to in a while, listening to this, this is as close as anyone can get to being at an actual Rush concert. Any young fan who didn't get a chance to see them, this is what it was like. This is the sound. This is the reverb you felt in the bottoms of your feet. This is an actual Rush concert. Yeah. And it's an amazing one. There's two bonus tracks on the CD from previous stops on the tour. Between Sun and Moon, which was recorded in Phoenix, Arizona, and Vital Signs, which was recorded in Quebec City, Quebec. But we're not going to talk about those two tracks today, Jer. We're going to talk about this Brazil show. And it was produced by Alex Lifeson and James Jimbo Barton. Oh, Jimbo Barton. Jimbo Barton. And Alex painstakingly produced this album because I, I believe it was difficult because of the crowd getting the mix right. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Do you know how it was recorded? Was it recorded like through the uh, monitor? I mean, through the uh, soundboard or was it recorded like more live? Because regardless, there's nothing you could do about the crowd, right? Yeah. It was probably so loud. They were coming through the microphones. I think it was recorded through the soundboard. Before we get started, I have a quote yeah. from Neil. Now this is from the liner notes of Russian Rio with 40,000 people waiting to get in. There was no question of holding the doors and we had to accept that there would be no sound check. At least the monitor board was working. And my drum tech Lorne reported that the MIDI marimba seemed to have recovered from the previous night, though I was still mentally preparing to work around the missing sounds. If I had to, I'm guessing this is referring to the rain you were talking about, Jer. Yeah. The sky remained dark and gloomy and the prospect of going on stage without a sound check was unnerving, just as a missing part of the show day ritual. Never mind the last show, grand finale, captured for posterity stuff. There would be no run-through for the recording truck, no test for the camera crew. We were all going to have to wing it. Flying blind in Rio. <laughs> yeah. As the stadium lights went down and a mighty roar went up, we ran on stage to the Three Stooges theme and launched into Tom Sawyer our thoughts a little frantic, and our emotions bound up with anxiety. The whole Vapor Trails tour had been very emotional for the three of us, right from the first night in Hartford, Connecticut. After five years away from live performance and all we had been through in those five years, it really felt like a triumphant return. A few times during the show, we looked at each other and shared a quick smile, an eloquent expression, 
that stopped time for an instant and conveyed so much understanding, so much relief, and even a little joy. Our hearts were in our smiles. How about that? Yeah, that's amazing. The thing that I read too, well, you just read it. No sound check. Yeah. No sound check. And this is where obviously tons of shows and a crew that you can trust and hours and hours and hours and hours of previous preparation mm-hmm. come into play. Because how do you play a stadium without a sound check? Stadium sound is notoriously bad if it's not done right, right? It's just it just escapes. Yeah. So the fact that it sounds this good is just a testament to the, the crew, I think. Yeah, and just the fact that they performed the previous night in Sao Paulo to even a bigger stadium and more fans probably helped them yeah. get this one right. And of course, this is going to be the DVD. Yeah. And they're going in blind. I know. It's crazy. I know. It is crazy. It's amazing that it sounds as good as it does. It's just crazy. It sounds great from the first second. Well, let's get into it. Track one on this CD is Tom Sawyer. Jared, I've got a quote from Alex Lifeson. This is from Rush.com. Okay. It's surprising how in tune they are with everything, meaning the Brazilian fans. All forms of music. They don't speak a lot of English down there, yet the audience was singing the whole night. And they very easily sung along with songs from Vapor Trails as they did from 2112 or Moving Pictures. Yeah. And the first thing you notice, Jared, with this song is the crowd singing every single word at the top of their lungs. The crowd is the fourth member of the band. Yeah. In this show. I mean, generally shows can be made or broken sometimes on the crowd. I've seen bad shows that shouldn't have been bad shows. Just the crowd wasn't into it for some reason. Mm-hmm. Usually it's in New York. I don't know why that is, but <laughs> let's just, let's just, let's be honest. Let's be honest, people go there to just hang out at a cool place and drink and don't really care about what the band that's on stage. But for a show like this, how could you not have been into it? And the band, it just, they just must have added so much to the performance from the get-go. Just the enthusiasm of 40,000 people. It's just mind-boggling. I would, like you said, I would love to have been there. Oh, God. Well, I think... The reason that the crowd is so into it is because of so few shows that go to Brazil. I mean, how many rock shows do you get to see in a stadium in Brazil if you're a Brazilian citizen? Think about that. I know. And, uh, you know, how many times did Rush go there? This was the only time. <laughs> these, these, these three times in Brazil? Right. Again, we are, you and I, I mean, yeah, have just been so lucky to just proximity. Right to large centers where people want to tour. And I, I couldn't imagine living somewhere and not being able to see your favorite band at some point in your life more than 10 times. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, think about it. If we lived in Sao Paulo, for instance, we would have seen Rush once. Yeah, unless you wanted to fly somewhere. If you could afford to. Right. A lot of these people probably saved up for a long time to be able to go to this one show, and they were going to make the most of it. Oh, they did. They did. You know, who would know that, I mean, Russia's big everywhere, but they seem huge in Brazil. If you this reaction that they get, who would know, right? Yeah. That they were so big. Usually the trope is just to say that you're big in Japan. I think it should be, are you big in Brazil? <laughs> well, I, I think it was the same thing when Rush went to Japan. Didn't they go to Japan on the Grace Under Pressure tour? Yeah. And the crowd was just as into it there from what I understand. I mean, I don't think there's any documentation of it, but. Right. That's why it, it, it annoys me a little bit when people are just like, oh, this person never even saw Rush or only saw them five times. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. You live someplace where they, they don't come to. What are you going to do? The people who went to this show are diehard Rush fans, regardless of how many times that they saw them. These 
people are diehard fans. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to hear that stuff anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this. What do you think the feeling yeah. is the first night, maybe not this particular night, but two nights ago, the first night they were in Brazil, Getty, Alex, and Neil walk out on stage. They probably weren't expecting this kind of reception. What's running through their head when they walk out there and the fans are singing every single word of Tom Sawyer back to them? Probably, uh, you know, can I turn my in-ear monitor up? I'm guessing. (laughs) (laughs) It was so loud. Every single... Now, I have a question for you, Steve. Was there chanting and singing like this at the other two shows? Probably. I would think so, right? It's a big big soccer thing to chant, right? Is that what... Yeah. I would think so. I mean, I don't know, but I would think there was, sure. Yeah. You know, I have, well, you know what? Let's get a little more into some of the songs. I have a quote from, do you ever see this website called allmusic.com? Yes. They had a good review of this album and they have a, a good quote I'm going to read but a little bit later. All right. Well, uh, what we're going to do is we're not going to play a portion of every single song from this record. It, it, we'd be doing a three-hour podcast. Right. So we're going to pick and choose. I would like to play a little bit of the next track, though, Jer, which is Distant Early Warning. Now, in this one, Jerry, you can hear the crowd sort of catching their breath after Tom Sawyer. <laughs> yes, a little bit. And I was thinking, well, they're not going to be as into distant early warning as they were Tom Sawyer, but I was wrong. You were wrong, Steve. <laughs> this energy is, they're riding this wave for the next two hours and 40 minutes or however long this concert is. And I, you know, I forgot, we saw this, we saw this tour a few times. Yes. I forgot what a great set list this was. Oh yeah. Tom Sawyer first into distant early warning and then into new world, man. Great set list. Yeah. So let me ask you this, Jer. Do you think the sound of this album is on par with different stages? Yeah. It's hard to say because this is such a live album. Yeah. This is a, a captured live album. It was produced obviously, but I don't know if there were any overdubs or anything done because this sounds so live. Yeah. Like like the first live album sounds really live, but this sounds like you're standing there inside mm-hmm. the stadium. And the interesting thing about the sound of this album is this is the sound of Vapor Trails. This is the sound of the Vapor Trails album. Right. They take that sound and they applied it to all of the other songs. So... That just proves again that, you know, Rush can kind of reinvent themselves. They take whatever sound they're doing now and they can put it on previous songs that they've done. Like, like in New World Man, the bass in New World Man is, is like the meat on the biggest bone in the world. You know what I mean? It's so thick sounding compared to other versions of New World Man because at that time they were, they had different sound. All right. Well, let's play a little bit of that right here. I totally agree, Jar. And we just talked about this when we talked about Grace Under Pressure Live. That whole live album has a Grace Under Pressure tone to it. Yeah. And this whole album has a Vapor Trails tone to it. I know. And the, the next live albums have this the Snakes and Arrows sound to them. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's just amazing that it's these songs, like we've said before, you know, how you could drop any song at the beginning or the end. Like Tom Sawyer, the first song, mm-hmm. usually that's like a closer toward the end but they're so versatile as a band that they can just apply whatever sound they're working with now to their previous songs even the keyboardy songs yeah yeah let's quickly talk about the next two tracks we've got roll the bones followed by earth shine now roll the bones i was surprised by how into this the crowd was roll the bones must be a big record in brazil they loved this song steve they loved every song (laughs) Every song. Yeah. They were even singing the new stuff. Yeah, Earthshine too, right? Right. That's a great version of Earthshine too, by the way. It really is, really is. Oh, man. Again, we're not going to play every track, but 
Listen to this album. It's amazing. One thing I do want to play, though, is track six, which <laughs> to me is highlight number one of this album. Yeah. And it's YYZ. <laughs> is a soccer thing a football thing right the chanting yeah because who would chant the melody of yyz it seems now that i've heard it of course now you're gonna do it i wish everybody had done it every show afterwards it would be so impossible i think for an american audience to even attempt it though having not practiced a lot it's just the most amazing thing ever i played this for my daughter once i was like you have to hear this Thing. This is the craziest thing you've ever heard in your life. She was unimpressed, of course, but <laughs> she's like, what? I'm like, they're chanting to a, they're singing along to an instrumental. She's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, whatever. But it is crazy. I've got a quote from Getty Lee. This is from Rush.com. YYZ was one of the audience highlights of the show. As soon as we started playing that song, the whole crowd started bobbing up and down in time with it. And they were singing along. What was amazing about the Brazilian crowds, when we played some of our instrumental stuff, they would be singing parts like they had written parts for it on top of some of the music. Right. <laughs> it's just, it's like somebody just humming along in their kitchen. It's amazing. But 40,000 people, it is amazing. It, it's, they must've been awed by it. They had probably never heard anything like that. Oh, before. I'm sure they hadn't. And how much energy do you think that gives Getty, Alex, and Neil to just plow through the rest of this show and give their best? When the crowd is that into it, you've got to be that into it, right? Yeah, I think it shows. This concert just keeps getting better and better and better Yeah, as it goes along. So what about track seven, The Past? I'm not going to play a little bit of that, but your thoughts on that one? I thought there was an interesting inclusion and you would think that it being kind of a slower song that it wouldn't go over as well but of course right. it did right right and then they go from the pass into bravado and i would like to play a little bit of this oh. For a song like this in a U.S. show, you would see a lot of fans heading to the bathroom. Yep. But here in Brazil, that did not happen. No. I think people wore diapers <laughs> so they wouldn't have to go to the bathroom. Or they just had a cup next to them and peed in that, right? <laughs> this, to me, is the first great song on this album. I'm not even a big fan of bravado. You know, like I said many times, the, the mid-tempo songs. There's just some kind of magic happening on this night because this song is killer. Yeah. From second one to second last. Alex, that extended thing at the end. Yes. You know what I mean? Extended mm -hmm. jam and the, and the solo. I wrote down the same oh, thing. Man. Alex's solo is epic and the ending. 
where it just builds and Alex's guitar work there is just unbelievable. It might be the best solo of the night. Yeah. Which is strange to say for me on a song like bravado. You know, it's interesting that we didn't discuss what songs we were going to key in on before we started this podcast. And that was one I had highlighted. And obviously you had too. Yeah, it was, it's definitely a highlight. And again, the fans know every word. Yep. <laughs> I know. And the thing, this is one thing as a, as a English speaking music lover, for some reason, I cannot get into music that's sung in a different language. It just, it does not, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I don't know what they're saying. Right. So it just doesn't resonate at all with me. It's a big failing, I think, because I should be more into the music sometimes. So when, you know, when Alex said in that quote, they don't speak a lot of English down there, but they know all of the words to all of these songs in English. Yeah. It's just amazing to me. That's how great fans they are. They just memorized all of the lyrics in English. Or maybe it's just that Rush transcends language. Yeah, that's what I need to discover. I need to discover the Brazilian Rush. There you go. There you go. So requests from listeners, if anybody has that band in mind, let me know. So track nine is the big money. I thought it was a great version of the big money. Your thoughts? Uh, There's a Simpsons thing at the end, which I love. (laughs) It was from an episode where they crash into a a statue of a deer and they go doe and Homer goes doe (laughs) and Marge goes a deer. (laughs) And Lisa says a female deer. Oh, Uh, that's absolutely hilarious and track 10 is the trees there is unrest in the forest trouble with the trees for the maples want more sunlight the oaks I can't get over the sing-alongs on this record, Jer. Yeah, it's truly incredible. I like that Getty at the beginning says this song is a little woodsy. <laughs> Why do you think Rush never went back to Brazil? After this, you'd think they would. Logistics, I guess. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. It just must be hard to do. They had so much trouble, right? They were, everything arrived late. That's why they didn't have their they didn't have all their crew there didn't have all the materials there. That's why they couldn't do the sound check or whatever. I'm sure that when you're planning out a huge tour have to go in like the straightest line possible another killer solo on the trees and neil's drums just stand out for me on this one for some reason yep now track 11 is free will jer and the crowd chanting during the solo section was what stood out for me on this one i have the same thing and then of course after the guitar solo bass solo drum solo part crowd goes nuts (laughs) that reminded me so much i was right back in a rush concert during this song because mm-hmm. it's exactly what it was like just everybody going crazy after that solo part now track 12 is closer to the heart I didn't mention this for Tom Sawyer, but you're aware that Tom Sawyer is the theme to MacGyver in Brazil, right? I forgot about that. Yes. So that's the reason that Tom Sawyer is so well known in Brazil, why they knew every single word. Right. Not that they didn't know the words to everything else, but they were really into Tom Sawyer. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe every Rush song is the theme song to some show in Brazil. But in the liner notes, Neil mentioned that they hadn't played Closer to the Heart on the Vapor Trails tour until they got to Brazil. Oh, really? Yeah, because Closer to the Heart is a huge song in Brazil for whatever reason. And Rush felt like, you know, if the song is so big here, we really have to add it. So they did. Yeah, that's amazing. You know what song it replaced? I don't. I did not do my research. I'm terrible. But <laughs> I just asked you right now. How <laughs> 
it just popped into my head right now. But the sing along as usual is amazing on this song. I know. How, how could there be a Rush album, a live Rush album without Closer to the Heart on it? There would have been if this wasn't Brazil. That's right. Would have been the first one. And track 13, Jer, one song that I've always loved seeing live is Natural Science. Again, more chanting. Yeah. More singing during the non-singing parts. Yeah, the middle section, you can feel the crowd jumping up and down. Yeah. And again, I would have loved to have been there jumping with them. Alex, again, man, is just, he is just on fire. On fire. But you know, this is a good time to me to read that quote I wanted to read from all music. Okay. This is just, this is just about the, the sound of the album as a whole. All right. It says, Lee's bass playing has never been this ferocious, so aggressive and driving, on a live album anyway. Neil Peart pushes the entire band with his polyrhythmic assault and overdriven flourishes and fills. Knowing this is the last date, he gives it all up in every single track. And Alex Slifeson, ever the band player, is on this night anyway, simply the greatest arena rock guitarist in the world. Can't argue with that. And I think that that is a thousand percent true. Oh, certainly. He's standing alone on the mountaintop during this concert. It really is incredible. And what they said about Neil leaving it all out there brings us to disc two and the first track on disc two, which is One Little Victory. And the double bass that we talked about with Brandon Taves. I mean, it's here and it's incredible. Yeah, it is incredible. This run of songs. Well, the whole, the whole thing is sequence perfect. Cause we just did our, you know, ultimate rush set list. Right. We should have just picked this one. <laughs> we should have just picked this one. You're right. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. We should have just picked this. Yeah. It would have been perfect. You know, rush already picked the ultimate set list. This is it. That's right. And track two, Jer, the thing that stands out on Driven is that funky bass solo, just like on different stages. The crowd is way into it, though, here. Yeah, totally. Totally way into it. And it's a little different than the other one, too, right? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. It's so good. This whole thing is so good. Such a great album. Okay, track three. Yeah. We got to plow through this because it'll take us us forever. Ghost Rider. This is very cool that this was captured on a live record. Such an emotional song, and the crowd loves it. Like Alex said, they are just as into these Vapor Trail songs as they are for any other song yep. that Rush played. Yep, they love it. I, you know what I should have done? I should have checked sales figures for Vapor Trail mm-hmm. in Brazil. Because this was, of course, the first version of Vapor Trails, which a lot of people didn't right. like, the production. But everybody here loves it. (laughs) Now, track four on disc two is Secret Touch. And Alex's guitar work at the beginning of this is so different from the album and so great, right? I think on this live disc are the Vapor Trail songs. Yeah. 
this song that Alex's riff in like the middle or toward the end of this song is, is just like one gigantic flexed muscle. Do you know what I mean? It's so, it's just so amazing. It's so much power and energy behind it. Cause at this point, the crowd just must be, you know, mm-hmm. the energy from the crowd is not even dissipated yeah. at all. So they just must be amped to the gills. And Alex is just taking it to a new level with, you know, with secret touch of all songs, yeah. right? It's seven minutes long. And Dreamline, which is next, is epic. And the crowd is going crazy. And yep. I mean, like we keep saying, you could throw any of these songs anywhere in a set and they're phenomenal. Yep. Now, track six is Red Sector A, which here is just brilliant. Alex's solo is great. Yep. Red Sector A in any show is amazing. Yeah. And as soon as the crowd hears the beginning, the keyboard, mm-hmm. things, they just know immediately what's going to happen. And again, Alex, the, the sound of this song is the vapor trail sound. Right. It's not the grace under pressure sound. Yeah. It's so thick. It's so thick. Track seven on disc two, Jarrah's leave that thing alone. Now, do you have a different feeling about this? Yes. In the live show than you do on the album, yes. right? Yeah. I wrote down, even this is great. Even this? Because I've never Come been on, a big nice. <laughs> I've never been a big fan of Leave That Thing Alone. I don't know why. It's just, you know, it never really grabbed me all that much. But this one, dude, this version of it is fantastic. Yeah. I think a lot of the instrumental songs were meant to be performed live. In Brazil. In Brazil, <laughs> in Brazil apparently. <laughs> I just think that... For me, this song has never really had the kind of movement as some of the other instrumental Mm -hmm. songs, or at least the compelling movement as some of the instrumental songs. But from here, it's very compelling in this live setting. I don't know. I don't know why. It has to be that. Has to be that fourth member. Getty has a really cool bass solo slash riff in the middle, and Alex's solo, surprise, surprise, is really good. Yep. And this leads into. What's highlight number two for me on this album? Track eight is O Batterista. Translates, Jer, to the drummer. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, obaterista means the drummer. Hmm. Someone who bats things around? I guess so. <laughs> Man, what a great drum solo this is. So great, in fact, Jer, it was nominated for a Grammy Award. Did you know that? I did know that, and so great it lost. To Brian Wilson's... <laughs> I mean, when I read this, I'm thinking, come on, this is made up, right? I know. It lost to... Yeah. A track called Mrs. O'Leary's Cow? Come on. Right. It's Brian Wilson, though. I understand. I love Brian Wilson, but you can't lose to Mrs. O'Leary's Cow, can you? (laughs) I got to play a little bit of this. I have to. It shouldn't have lost to this. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong, Steve. What is with the Grammy voters? What's with them? Because it's Brian Wilson. That's why. Look, we all love pet sounds. We all love Brian Wilson. We do, (laughs) right? We all all do love pet sounds, but come on. I know. I know. What are you going to do, man? (sighs) Is this Neil Peart's greatest recorded drum solo? Ooh. Oh, it's close. If it isn't, it's close. I think the energy of the crowd made this even more epic. Yeah, I, I agree a thousand percent. Mrs. O'Leary's cow. I, I, I can't, you know, 
I just, I just can't, you know, behind my camel was one thing, but you know, right. Is this a history of losing to songs with terrible names? <laughs> All right, let's move on. Track nine on disc two is resist. To me, this is highlight number three of this album. We always talk about how great Resist was live, and this version is no different. Yeah, I remember seeing this and seeing how, you know, because I play, you know, I play guitar mm-hmm. kind of a little bit, and I've never tried to really play Rush songs because I'm, I'm just too intimidated <laughs> off the bat. I'm like, there's no way I'm never even going to try to play. But when I saw them play Resist live, and I saw how easy at least the chords were that i learned how to play it just from watching mm-hmm. alex play it his little guitar solo part at the beginning while al getty is playing it's such a beautiful and unusual thing to do an acoustic song in a rush concert i think it was nice of alex and getty to give the crowd a break here you know the sweats pouring <laughs> off their heads they could stop jumping up and down for a few minutes at least right and to give neil a break and to give Neil a break after that epic drum solo, yeah. And Alex's guitar sound is just echoing in the stadium, and it's just fantastic. It's always amazing to me when a couple of people with acoustic guitars can hold the attention of you know, a stadium full of people, never mind an arena mm-hmm. full of people. It just shows the, the quality of the song and how enraptured everyone was to be there. And the last track on disc two is one that you would imagine that the crowd went, absolutely bananas over and that is 2112 the overture and temples of syrinx only and the crowd's insane on this song yes with good reason with good reason and of course alex the 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 solos are as fierce as anything ever played by anyone it's crazy it really is the way that they just go everybody's just like you know yeah Mm -hmm. whatever during the 2112 part or the hey i guess it is yeah now, this is the first Rush live album that was more than two discs. Different stages was three discs, but the third disc was a completely different show. Yeah. This is so long, we had to put a third disc. Right. And what are your thoughts on track one, Limelight, Jar? I mean, Limelight's always great live. I just wrote down Limelight with an exclamation point. Yeah, it's Limelight. It's Limelight. It's fantastic, as yeah. you like to say. It's just a great version. And again, Alex's guitar solo, just the way that the crowd is just like screaming every second of this song. They just love every second of Limelight. And they also love every second of track two on disc three. And this is another highlight for me, La Via Strangiato. Yeah, what, what can you say about this? I mean, there's so much here. I know. And it's the whole thing, too. Yeah. The crowd's going crazy. I'm running out of words, <laughs> Steve, to even describe how great this concert is. I still don't know how Getty, Alex, and Neil pull this song off live every single time flawlessly. Yeah. I don't know either, Steve. I haven't done, I haven't done a thing flawlessly in years. <laughs> My favorite thing comes in about six minutes and 30 seconds in and it's alex goofing around he says that's jazz and jazz is weird (laughs) and then he starts mumbling all sorts of weird stuff some of it i can understand some of it i can't but my favorite part is when he calls 
Getty and Neil his backup band. And then <laughs> yeah. he says, Getty is that guy from Ipanema. Right. And then Getty starts playing girl from Ipanema. Yeah. It's just hilarious. Alex is just so funny. He calls it Neil Milton banana. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure this is stuff that he's just coming up with off the top of his head to make Getty and Neil laugh. Right. But this is just a great version. It is a fantastic version. I think it's interesting that, you know, for the crowd to be so into all of these instrumentals, because they were also clearly into this one. <laughs> Do you think they're more into the instrumentals because there are no lyrics that they don't understand? Oh, I didn't, I never thought about that. Right? Perhaps. Yeah. Maybe the instrumentals are the highlight for the Brazilian crowd because they don't have to worry about trying to figure out what they're saying. <laughs> that's true. Maybe that's true. Could be, could be. Yeah. Track three on disc three is Concert Staple, Jared's The Spirit of Radio. thoughts on this it was again one of those songs where it was like being there again yeah just the the crowd going crazy when it starts which is what happened every single time yeah when i hear the spirit of radio live it's you know just like i said when we did our set list i want to live it all again yeah you just want to be there again to hear this song as many times as possible so we're already to the encores here and the first one is by tour in the snow dog they don't do the whole song but no this is a great version. It is a f- amazing version of this song. Now, it's so it's so crazy. This song is so crazy and the crowd is eating it up. Just a great solo by Alex too. Oh man, I know. And the way that they go right into Cygnus. Now they just do the the prologue. That, they just do about 3 minutes of Cygnus. Right. But the bells echoing through the stadium, it's just incredible. I know. I mean, just the, the, the breadth of knowledge of the, of the Brazilian fans at this show. They love everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? They love Cygnus. They love, you know, Earthshine and everything in between. I don't think there's any song that Rush could have played that this crowd wouldn't have eaten up. No, no, they could have played anything. Yeah, Rivendell, maybe. We'll see. That might have been testing the waters. Now, when we did our ultimate set lists, you chose Working Man to end the show. So, like we said, now you see why, you could have right? picked this show. This could have been your show. Right. Working Man is the final song. And what a great way to end the show. What a great way to end the show. How could you not play Working Man at the end of a Rush show? I know I said a couple times, I wish they hadn't played Working Man always last, but I think this shows why they always play Working Man last. When they did, it was great. Yeah, when they did, it was great, and just the crowd loved hearing this song. Crowd's losing it here. They're just losing it. Yeah, they're losing it. Maybe they know that it's the last song. Maybe that's why they're even more excited. But just the, you know, that little breakdown mm-hmm. with the bass before the guitar solo starts or whatever, the crowd's going crazy. The guitar solo's crazy. Everybody is just living their best life in these five minutes of this song. Yeah. I mean, imagine the memories if you had been here for this. Yeah, I know. It would have been one of the best concerts ever. Yeah. So in the liner notes from the album, Neil says, we had a pretty good show. Uh, would you agree with that? No, I don't agree with that at all. I think they had 
one of the best shows ever. <laughs> you know, Neil was so modest. Yeah, I know. I want to read the last paragraph of his liner notes, if you don't mind, Jar. No, please. Back at the hotel, we gathered in the bar with our wives and colleagues and ordered many rounds of the powerful national drink, Comprehenia. We were bone-weary and drained, only starting to feel the relief of knowing it was over. The long, hard show and the long, hard tour. As the recording and film people reported in, it seemed safe to trust that at least one of those 66 Vapor Trail shows would not fade into the ether, like an ephemeral jet stream of echoes and memories. Our stalwart crew had prevailed against all obstacles of weather, technology, and time, and that final show had been captured as a moving souvenir for those who were there and for those who were not. We ordered another round of Caprahinas and drank all of them, and to each other, feeling better every minute. Neil had such a way to just capture a moment, didn't he? Yeah. I can only imagine the relief that they were feeling after having ended such a long tour on such a high note. Yeah. You know what I mean? I guess it would have been easy to maybe have a bad show after the previous show with the rain and not having a sound check and not having the, you know, a way to test the video and all that kind of stuff. And it, they pulled it out and did a great show. So it must've felt great. So I ask you this every time we discuss a live album, Jer, where does this rank for you? Um, it's, that's a hard one because it's different than all the other mm -hmm. live albums. It's hard to put it in the same category as the previous live albums. So I don't know what to say. It's definitely one of my favorites. I'm still going to say different stages is number one for me. Right. But this one's up there. It's hard to rank these just like it's hard to rank the studio albums. It's hard to rank the live albums too. It is. It's also, like I said, hard to rank this one with the other ones because this is a full concert. Yeah. It's two hours and 50 minutes or whatever it is. Two hours and 45 minutes where the other ones are much shorter. Not all the songs are there. So maybe the songs don't flow as easily from one to the other and they're taken from different tours. So maybe the energy level of the crowd is different, but this one from beginning to end is just such a portrait of one night as opposed to the other live albums. So I think what we'll have to do is after we're finished talking about all the live albums, then we can talk about where they stand for us because it seems like each live album gets better as we go along here. Yeah. I don't want to do that. Steve. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to rank these. Well, I am looking forward to talking about the rest of the live albums. There's that. There's that. Yes. And I really think at a later date, we should talk about the video version of this because there's a whole different thing to talk about there, right? Yeah. There's a whole other dynamic to it. That's what I was looking for. Thank you. You're <laughs> you can find us on Twitter. We are at rush Fancast. Instagram. You can find us at the rush cast email, Jerry. Let them know what you thought of our conversation about Rush in Rio at therushcast at gmail.com. Follow or subscribe via your favorite podcast app. You haven't sent out a press release yet, Jer, about Spotify and us pulling our podcast from Spotify, have you? <laughs> we haven't made that decision yet. No. <laughs> we're not deciding whether we're sticking with Neil Young or sticking with Joe Rogan yet? No, we're definitely sticking with Neil Young, but I don't know if we're going <laughs> to... I'm going to alert Spotify. The bass intro and outro, that is Lex. And Jer, I hope you have a great quote to wrap up this podcast. I do. And it's from a great woodsy song. Ah, the trees. There is unrest in the forest. There's trouble with the trees. For the maples want more sunlight. And the oaks ignore their pleas. Those damn oaks. <laughs> Stupid oaks. Thanks, Jer. All right, see you later. Thank mm -hmm. you.